Hey, it's Jody Vance in for Mike Smith. Happy Friday to you. A lot going on uh, behind the scenes and on social media and the undercurrent of anxiety, the level of anxiety that some BC teachers are feeling right now. It's actually hitting a new level as back to school does loom large now on September 10th. Uh, while the finalized directives and the plans are yet to be officially announced by the province in terms of how health measures will be implemented, maintained, how training will roll, etc. That's all expected in 12 days at the very latest on August the 26th. Time now, though, to unpack what we do know. And to do so, we welcome Georgia Strait K-12 columnist Patty Backus. She's on the line. Hi, Patty. Hi, Jody. We were very busy on the Twitter. <laughs> A lot of our listeners aren't on Twitter, so I thought, why not just have you on? Because when I was, people were freaking out, they were so anxious, and I'm yeah. feeling their anxiety. And I said, can we all just stop freaking out for a second and just talk solutions? And then you just came yeah. in and went, boom, 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 boom. Here are some <laughs> solutions. Let's talk them through. I'm all about solutions and making things better, for sure. Yeah, so let's let's dive in. What do you first give us your sort of overview of what you're seeing? You you've lived, you've walked the walk here. <laughs> Um, well, sure. I'm, you know, it's not just teachers who are anxious. I'm hearing from a lot of parents who are trying to decide whether or not to send their kids back to in-class learning in September. They may have immune, immunocompromised family members or other concerns. Um, and even some students I've heard from. I've had a really heartfelt letter from a student, an 11-year-old, who was extremely worried about uh, the risk of COVID and bringing that home to her family. So, it's, you know, it's every, it, this is a really hard time for everybody, and, and it's hitting different people in different ways. So when you have a plan coming out saying, you know, this is what's going to happen in September, of course, people are going to have a reaction. And, you know, as our numbers are, are alarmingly going up again, I think, you know, these are legitimate concerns. And the BC plan, I would say, is not is what I would call as robust, perhaps, as what we're seeing in other provinces. So I was surprised when they released it in late July that it's really a full return to class with uh, not much in terms of a, an effort to reduce class sizes or improve ventilation or find alternative, more um, bigger learning spaces. So all of the... But do we know that yet, though, Patty? Sorry to interrupt you, but well, on, on the on the actual like boots on the ground plan in ventilation and what classes will look like and sizes and whatnot, because we don't really have those details yet. Well, the, the plan that was released on July 29th is different from, and so it's in stages, and this, this yeah. is a, a framework that was released earlier in the spring. It was changed. So I think there was a widespread anticipation we would move to what government was referring to as stage two of its school plan. Yes. But they changed it. The original stage two had high school students attending only 40% of the time right. um, and doing sort of a, a hybrid remote program. And I think that change really took a lot of people by surprise, including me, uh, that, nope, we're going to have them all back. And there's really, if you were to have a real move to reduce their class sizes, you'd have to be working on that now. It's a big deal to do that. So unless they decide between now and September to go back to that original stage two, you know, I could see, I think it would make sense to have high school kids going half days for four days a week. Uh, right away, you bring the class sizes down <clears throat> by at least half. 
and you still have a day there for teachers to be working on the remote learning and support and things like that. Okay, so other- can I just jump in? Can I just jump in sure. there? Just in terms of the, the high school piece, I have a 12-year-old who's going to grade 8. Um, he's going to high school. He's going to public high school. I have uh, my dad has late stages Alzheimer's and I'm his primary care in uh, his primary visitor. Um, my mom and my stepdad are both in their 80s with immunocompromised scenarios. Both are cancer survivors. And, and my son really, really wants to go to school. And whether he's in school you know, 40% of the time or 100% of the time, he, he, his mind is, I'm kind of going to be around the same people and certainly the same teachers. So if I keep my bubble into that cohort, because he is watching the briefings, he's kind of engaged in, in what we're doing here. And, and there's, that, if there's that level of trust piece that I think gets lost when we get into the anxiety of it. Because watching the briefing yesterday, where Dr. Henry was literally laying out the age groups, as you said, the numbers are certainly concerning, mm-hmm. but those numbers aren't reflective, even in kids under the uh, 19 and under, not just the little kids in, in elementary school. So I think it's important that we don't just skip along the surface of those those headliney um, pieces of the class sizes are too big and nobody's going to be able to social distance. And because I, what I keep hearing from Dr. Henry when she's standing in front of that podium, two things. Number one, we will have social distancing and, and schools will look very different than they have in the past because that is our reality moving forward. And and. Number two is the unintended negative consequence of not getting kids back in school far outweighs the risk to them right now. Well, I have I absolutely agree that it's important to get schools open and get and for for many many students school is, is critically important to their well being. Yeah. Not all, but 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 many. I would argue that having half the, the high school kids, we know that it sounds like the research is telling us that kids over ten can transmit the virus as effectively as as, as adults. Um, by by having them go half time, you immediately reduce that problem that teachers are telling us is that you just mathematically can't physically distance in a classroom with 25 or 28 students and a teacher and possibly an education assistant. So you, But what if there uh, aren't 25 or 28 in a class, Patty? We don't know that yet. I can't imagine well, Dr. Henry would say, let's shoehorn in 25 people into that classroom side by each a foot apart. In our, that's the class sizes we have in our high schools. And um, if unless a lot of families opt out... Traditionally, but there's no increase in staffing. There's no change to the staffing formulas to bring down class sizes. That's a that's a major effort. There's no effort to hire more teachers to reduce class sizes. So the only way they're going to be reduced is if people are opting out. And and which is my second uh, suggestion to improve this plan is to create more options for students who choose to work remotely to do so, but be connected to their neighborhood school. So Certainly, but you could also do that with the kids in the gym that are socially distanced with the teacher that's in the next room with the kids that are socially distanced with a big screen and use the technology and have them in the school environment, right? Like, that's what I was looking for in terms of solutions as opposed to let's keep more kids home and mm-hmm. and try and do it that way. How about some solutions that, that look at a reworked school situation? Like maybe how many times, Patty, you and I have talked about this before yeah. in the new build school, new build schools in Vancouver always blows my mind that covered outdoor space is not, mm-hmm. is no longer included in the new builds because it's considered square footage and it costs more. And it's not in the budget and da da da. How valuable is that covered outdoor space right now in, in a city like Vancouver or in, in the lower mainland in Metro Vancouver for that matter, where you could hold classes safely outside for a, a large chunk of the year. 
sure. And I've been writing about this since last spring in the Georgia Strait. You know, yes. all the events that aren't happening, all the big weddings that aren't happening. There's going to be those tents. big event tents that you can yes. keep that are well ventilated, that are, are a nice environment and, and spread kids out for sure. But you're still somewhat limited by, you know, the number of teachers that you have. If you're going to have 100% of your kids back, you still, I mean, you can have them in bigger spaces than, than the typical classroom, which is a start. Um, so I think those are those are some of the measures, even even things like the ventilation upgrades. And I'm hearing other yeah. jurisdictions looking at the HEPA air purifiers for classrooms to filter the air and make sure it's getting turned over. We still have schools that I've been in classrooms that don't have any windows. <laughs> that, oh, dude, and I'm with you. I know with, my kid. Yeah. 105 yeah. year old schools. I've yeah. All right, Jody Vance in for Mike Smith and continuing our conversation with Patty Backus, Georgia Strait K-12 columnist, and we're talking about the anxieties surrounding back to school for not just teachers, uh, but admin staff. Parents are worried. Some kids are worried. Others are not, though. This is not just everybody is super, super anxious and worried because I can count myself as as a parent uh, who has uh, elders in my family who are at risk, and I, I just, I'm going forward trusting uh, Dr. Henry. I'm trusting the science. I'm trusting, and I'm trusting my teachers to look out for my my son as they have to this point in environments that have risk associated with it. There's no way to go back to school with no risk, especially in a pandemic. And and Patty, to, to speak to the solutions that we're trying to get to here, it's the evolution, the flexibility, the patience that when I'm hearing Dr. Henry talk about uh, what the plan is, who's at the table, I've chatted with Terry Mooring um, immediately after Rob Fleming made the announcement of back to school all in um, and how it would be full time for all students, uh, minister, BC, uh, uh, excuse me, Education Minister Rob Fleming and Dr. Bonnie Henry together uh, made that announcement. It did have quite the wave of reaction from the BC Teachers Federation and getting that uh, immediate pushback to get those few days to get the training, to get you know the health and safety, get the protocols in place, understand what this new normal is going to look like. Is there a way, do you, in your opinion, in your very learned opinion, is there a way to do this without it being so anxiety riddled in the days leading up to it that really will, I think, impact negatively on students? Well, I think, you know, I think some tweaks to the plan. I think I'm not sure two days that they've now agreed to delay the arrival of students after teachers start back to work in September is going to be enough to really have those learning groups well organized and classrooms uh, organized. You know what they go through every year, just figuring out who goes to totally. class. Well, it's, it's extra complicated this year. Yeah. Often students don't arrive that you expected back and then new ones arrive that weren't expected. So schools do need time to organize. I would have preferred to let them give them a week to really get it worked out so they felt confident I want teachers feeling uh, confident in the plan and that they've had time to work through it they know who's going to be in which learning group and how that's going to happen this is new for everybody so totally I, I agree with you important. that two yeah. days seems short I was expecting yeah. it to be more of a week or longer frankly as a parent I was like well I, I can manage that we can figure it out it's not like we haven't yeah. all been trying to be adaptable throughout <laughs> this process right, yeah. two days does feel quick but at the same time the first two weeks of school are like an hour here and an hour there for students anyway. It's not like they're well, back from eight to three. Yeah. 
typically they go for a short first day, but they do tend to go for the whole days after that. But they're often put in large groups and doing different rotations. And True. Well, well, staff are scrambling to figure out who's going to go in what class. So I, I would think just even that's a fairly minor thing that I think the public would understand. I think that would, might be a compromise that would help um, give people a bit of time because we don't want kids arriving to frazzled, nervous staff. That's not good exactly. for anyone, you know. So, no. so that's a start. Uh, you know, and again, I think the flexibility piece is really key because we don't know where this is going. Like the numbers are, are concerning this week. Uh, we may have to go backward in our planning at some point if, if things get bad. So we need to, to be thinking ahead of what happens if the case numbers continue to rise and we have to go into some form of a lockdown for a while. And, and that's where I think the flexibility around remote learning would be beneficial for a number of reasons. All right, off for families who aren't comfortable. We have kids who live in multi generational households. Who yep. there are concerns, and some. You know, I talked to a high school teacher last week. He said she had some students who really thrived working remotely, who came out of their shells. Kids who were silent in class suddenly were opening opening up to her and the remote platforms in a way that she'd never seen. So, you know, to keep that option there for those who it was working well for, I think is important. And to realize we may be back in that mode for everybody, possibly, and let's hope not, but it's a possibility come depending how this fall goes. So I, I think some some more effort to provide the remote options for students is, is really key. And there will be many staff members with health issues that are struggling with whether they want to be back in schools who would prefer to do that work remotely as well. Is there an I opportunity that- for teachers to do the remote piece on a larger scale than because in June what I found um, was really difficult I love my teacher my son's grade seven teacher was so amazing but he wasn't really into being the online guy like he just isn't online savvy anytime he but he's just a really great educator Um, so if he could focus on being in class educator that's who he wants to be I want to be the guy that's in the room could we not have more than one class engage with that online educator? Can we have, you know, a team of online educators who kids from all over British Columbia who aren't comfortable going into class for whatever reason can access that classroom, a bigger, broader virtual classroom? Well, there are distance learning programs and Vancouver School Board runs on the Vancouver Learning Network. But what I'm hearing is a lot of people want to stay connected to their local school, the school that their child is enrolled in. They have the relationships with staff. So you could have staff at each school who are, you know, like resource teachers uh, yep. work with students. You could have totally. a school-based uh, team. And I'm sure in every school there's probably a few teachers who would prefer to be teaching that way um, than, than to be in class because of their own health concerns or, or their families. So I think that flexibility piece, and that takes a lot of planning. It's, it's easier said than done to figure out the staffing and organization and who is going to do that. But I think it's worth investing in that. And that would those people could be a support that if we suddenly did have to go back to all remote learning, they could be supporting their colleagues who aren't as comfortable doing that if they you know, really had time to work on their, their uh, materials and how they deliver it. So I think that's a possibility. I think even some small things like a stronger push on mask use, not, not necessarily mandatory. I agree with Dr. Henry that you know, making things mandatory 
often just invites more resistance. But yeah. the plan. I think that that's really going to be cool. cool. Keith and Keith and I talk that through. Keith Baldry and I talk about that quite a bit. We both agree that we think the kids are going to embrace the mask wearing because it's going to be the right thing to do and and a popular thing to do and peer pressure in a in a positive way. Unfortunately, I'm up against the clock here, Patty. I could literally do another half hour solid <laughs> with you. So maybe we can reconnect uh, next week and and sort of unpack it a bit more when we when we get more information. I'm really getting the feeling that that we are going to get more and more information and maybe an injection of money that's going to help here as well. Cause I think that's a piece that the teachers and admin staff are going, we can't do this on the budget we have right now is that, like yeah. to wrap it up. For sure. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Dr. Henry has uh, an answer on that, but I will, I will say that uh, minister Dix and I have been talking about the importance of making sure that younger uh, demographics are hearing the message. This is a, a call out to Deadpool right now. Uh, Ryan, we need your help up here. Uh, get in touch with us. Uh, my number's uh, on the internet. Uh, Seth Rogan, another outstanding British Columbian. We need to communicate with people who aren't hearing us. The two of you alone could help us in that regard. There's a host of other options available and we're working as hard as we can to enlist a number of prominent British Columbians and prominent Canadians to help get that message through to the demographic that clearly isn't hearing our message. So that was Premier John Horgan and breaking this hour, actually moments ago, Ryan Reynolds responded to our Premier. Have a listen. Oh, uh, hey, uh, Premier Horgan, Ryan Reynolds here. Uh, I got your message about the thing. Uh, I'm not sure it's a great idea, frankly. Uh, people don't, I don't think they want medical advice from guys like me. No, sir. Um, unless it's plastic surgery, which... A lot of people don't know this, but I used to be Hugh Jackman. Uh, you know, in young folks in BC, yeah, they're they're partying, um, which is of course dangerous, uh, and they probably don't know that that thousands of young people aren't just getting sick from coronavirus; that they're they're also dying from it too. Uh, and of course, it's the, terrible that it affects our most vulnerable. You know, BC is that's home to some of the coolest older people on earth. I mean, David Suzuki, did, he lives there. My mom. She doesn't want to be cooped up in her apartment all day. She wants to be out there cruising Kitsilano Beach looking for some young 30-something Abercrombie burnout to go full Mrs. Robinson on. She is insatiable. But here's the thing. Um, I hope that young people in BC don't kill my mom, frankly, uh, or David Suzuki, or each other. I, I, let's, not, I, let's not kill anyone. I think that's reasonable. Uh, and, you know, but I, I just... I. I don't think that I'm the guy to deliver this message. I love parties. I mean, the, 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 my favorite thing to do is just you know, sit alone in my room with a glass of gin in the first 32 seasons of Gossip Girl. Well, that's a party. Threw my shoulder out the last time I did that. Mm. Brian Reynolds responding to the premiere. Connecting with young people, people in their 20s, does require advice from folks actually in their 20s. And with all due respect to Ryan Reynolds, he's not. Our next guest actually is. And she is a peer and a colleague here at CKNW and on the Chorus Radio Network. Uh, Shristi Gangdev is with us. Hey, Shristi. Hey, Joey. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to have you, actually, because you're one of my favorite follows on social media. Uh, and here I am, twice your age. And we connect. So I was wondering if you could maybe help me understand how best to connect messaging to uh, to the youth who are uh, sort of n not as informed as most, because I know a lot of young people who are very responsible and engaged. I would count you as certainly one of them. How do how do we uh, as as a society reach out 
properly to, to young people during a pandemic? Well, I'm glad to hear you like my social media. I find that I find it hard to, to not joke on social media. And I honestly think that is what we should be doing. Um, because and I mean this in the best way possible, but my generation, millennials and Gen Z, really connect with memes more than anything. Um, so, you know, there should be more emphasis on Instagram, on TikTok, on the social media outlets that people of my generation and younger are actually using, because I don't know anyone who's used Facebook since about 2015. Um, pitch for Premier Dad, you know, get on TikTok, make a dance about COVID-19, hit the whoa, I, I don't know, just things that are going to make people laugh are things that they're going to take more seriously. And I know how contradictory that sounds, but it genuinely, I think, is the best way to get across. You know, that's brilliant. It truly is genius. I mean, when there is like a funny dance involved, but there's a message behind it. I mean, it makes me think, and and not until this moment did it kind of hit, the things that have gone viral that have been cool with a message, things like the ice bucket challenge, right? Everybody all of a sudden embraced and learned so much about ALS when what we were doing was was painfully funny. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think, you know, Ryan Reynolds is great, but the reason we're already talking about that message he just left is because he's making a joke out of it. He's talking about his mom cruising Kitts Beach for younger guys. He's yeah. he's saying the message that we want to hear, but he's saying it in a way that keeps us entertained. That's a really great point too, because we're all like serious. We're talking about it, the the curve and then and the numbers and the hospitalization. And he's like, she's going full Mrs. Robinson on that, you know, former Abercrombie model or whatever. The, it's the levity piece. Exactly. And you know, we all you know, really appreciate the the calm guidance that Dr. Henry gives us. But, you know, you, you also have to look at, I don't know anyone who watches a video that's longer than 15 seconds anymore. So when, it, even if people are tuning into the briefing, it takes us so long to, and it's absolutely important to know the numbers and to have that calm guidance. But if we're taking a few minutes to get to that messaging around, please be safe, don't, um, don't break the rules. And we're being told to it in this very calm adult way. But I don't think that young people are sticking around enough in those briefings to hear those messages. So what would be the the advice that that you because I mean, coming out of uh, journalism school, school, you you are clearly engaged in news at this high level. You're, you're an outstanding broadcaster and communicator. And you're, m- most people don't realize that you're gathering, writing and delivering uh, the news stories that you pr- present. It's part of a team, but certainly you are very hands-on and engaged in this. And yet you can also have that levity fun and be that mid-20s, as you said, millennial, Gen, Gen Z, Gen Z. Um, what would your advice be to the premier's office, if you were sitting in that at that table of, of or the health minister, Adrian Dix, what Keith Baldry is just speaking about, how he's, he's making calls to influencers. Do you know of influencers, I guess is my question off the top of your head, that they should be calling? I don't think influencers is the right way to go. I think people in my generation are moving away from following whatever our favorite celebrity says we should be doing. Uh, that feels like we're being talked down to. And I know even, I'll admit, I'm one of the elderly people on TikTok but um, whenever whenever a celebrity shows up on TikTok, everyone is like, oh, I can't believe this person is here. They're going to ruin this app that was made for us normal people. Um, 
But you know what? I think there needs to be a fine balance that health officials need to, to find between being calm, laying down the law and saying it in a way that engages. And I think there, you know, there's so much emphasis on 50 people keep your distance, wear a mask. But I don't think there's a realization among people that I know personally that those rules only work if you're following all of them. There's a Mm -hmm. selective following of rules um, where people are super anxious about some things and then completely disregard other rules. Um, And in the case that it's a birthday or, you know, an event or a wedding that they think is important to them, they're going to be like, it's okay for me to break this rule just this once when it's really not. Oh, that's a good message. There's a lot there to learn from. I recommend Shristi Gangdev is part of the committee. If anybody at the premier's <laughs> office is listening, I thank you so much for your time here. And I've learned a lot. I, I think there is a, a really important piece of this that engages uh, a generation of people who don't want to be talked down to. Give me something that sparks my imagination or makes me laugh in an odd and awkward way that makes me think you're smart. Yes, exactly. All right. I'm getting it. Thank you for doing this on short notice. I really appreciate it. No worries. Anytime, Jody. I'm Jody Vance in for Mike. And it may not be the top headline anymore, but certainly there is still great frustration where the changes to Stanley Park are concerned. And in the next segment, we're opening up the phone lines on it. So if you have thoughts either way, if you love it, you hate it, call us 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. And if you live outside of the Lower Mainland, maybe you're not aware of the kilometers of ugly orange plastic cones lining Park Drive and gobbling up parking spots and making access to some amazing heritage businesses extremely difficult, already struggling in a time of a pandemic. These businesses are up against it here with these changes that uh, the Vancouver Park Board have put into place in Stanley Park. And today a domino might just be pushed to take back or at least get on the road to taking back Vancouver's crown jewel for all. To look at what the legal next steps might be like, we bring in former Attorney General of BC, Wally Opal. Uh, Thanks for being with us. Always good to be with you, Jody. This is a really hot topic. I know people get, I personally get frustrated. I I had my wedding at the Tea House in Stanley Park, albeit a long time ago, but I, I worry about the people who who run that business and and who have who've invested so much in that and all of a sudden have limited uh, patrons because of well, how things have well, changed in the park. Well, Nancy Sibbert, who owns the uh, owns the uh, tea house, has put a lot of money into remodeling it. Uh, that's an iconic spot that people from all over the world go to, and now it's merely inaccessible. On the fourth yeah. of uh, June. The park board uh, called uh, Nancy and one of the other stakeholders to a Zoom meeting and told them about the plans that they've made for uh, Stanley Park. Of course, she wasn't included in it at all. What they told her was that they were going to shut down one lane for motor vehicle traffic. The other lane would be for bike lanes. And they were going to run the bike lane right through the middle of her parking lot, depriving her of 60 parking spots without even giving her the opportunity to be heard. So it was a done deal. So we, uh, we wrote to the, the uh, park board in, in June. Of course, we got no reply. And finally, we had a meeting in, uh, by Zoom on July 26th, and the park board said, well, we'll, we'll do our best to accommodate you. 
and uh, we heard nothing. And then they said, well, we'll give you back 20 spots. That really doesn't help her. And so right now the city's legal department is involved and we're, uh, we're going to be negotiating with them. So I'm optimistic that that the legal people, uh, the legal department at City Hall will be more reasonable. But what they've done, Jody, is made a complete mess of the park. They've deprived so many people of the use of that park. The Disabilities Association has gone to the Human Rights uh, Tribunal to lay a complaint. Uh, there are people who can no longer access that park. And uh, the bike, the cyclists come there on weekends, and they go to the... Uh, the Prospect Point restaurant, they park yeah. their bikes there against the building, use the washroom, and walk away, use the seats, sit there, and they don't buy anything, of course. And uh, so that isn't the type of treatment that uh, somebody like Nancy Stibbard, you've been a great citizen, and uh, she's run that restaurant, and it's, a, it's a, an iconic spot that people go to. But the mess, the park is now a mess, and... Uh, and no one knows where it's going to next. So uh, that's the problem as far as uh, as far as uh, our client is concerned. And, and she's losing huge amounts of money because people aren't coming to the restaurant. So and it she's just down feels so 90%. Ad- Sorry. Oh, my God, 90%? 90%. And no one's listening to her. And, uh, you know, the thing is, you know, we live in a democracy. And the least that could have been done is to call her in ahead of time and say, look, we have new plans for the park. How is it going to affect you? We want to work with you. Can we get together on this? None of that was done. The park board, in an, just in an arrogant way, took away the spots and decided that that's what was going to happen. There was nothing wrong with the park the way it was before. And uh, so in any event, that's where we are. I'm hopeful that with the city lawyers involved that, uh, that maybe we'll be able to reach some kind of an accommodation. We can hopefully get to a point where uh, it's acknowledged where the ideas, perhaps with the best of intentions, let's say, on behalf of those of the park board who decided this was the best thing uh, in a pandemic. It was early days-ish, I guess, uh, for these changes to be put in place. But I think now where we're at in phase three and for people who are literally walking around the seawall on Stanley Park and taking photographs of it being absolutely deserted because... Not everybody does the entire seawall for their stroll or for their leisurely cycle. They're not clipping into their bike and wanting to race around the park. They want to they want to take in the views. And I've spoken to so many people, honestly, uh, Wally, I've spoken to so many people who have said we went for a ride around Stanley Park and my kids were in tears pushing their bikes, their rental bikes up that hill to Prospect Point. It was not fun at all. yeah. yeah, it's it's impossible. I get calls all the time, and there are now twenty five thousand signatures on a petition to uh, to change things to the way they were. There was nothing wrong with the park the way it no. was before. As you know, it's a crown jewel, as you said. You know, it's a yeah. great part of the history of our city, and uh, now people can't use it. And uh, so, you know, our our client is not opposed to bike lanes. We're not opposed to that. And uh, but the fact is, we want the right to be heard. We want this is a democracy. We uh, we wanted the yeah we wanted the park board to listen to us, mm-hmm. and uh, they didn't listen to her at all. And so now we've got a mess in the park. <laughs> 
there were hundreds of people at that emergency park board meeting after the petition was signed. They called the emergency meeting and it went on for hours and hours. It went late into the night. And then like magic, yeah, first thing that very next yeah. morning, a thousand yeah. pylons were, you know, available yeah. to make a separated bike lane. That doesn't feel like consultation. Well, it's, you know, everybody knew it was a done deal. The, the meeting that was uh, held until 11 o'clock in the evening, uh, was uh, was then canceled, and they gave everybody three minutes to be heard. And of course, their uh, the 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 uh, boat didn't change. It was five two, and they had the pylons there the next morning. So it wasn't exactly a due process and fairness. They had their yeah. minds made up ahead of time, and and uh, it's it's unfortunate. And the public is paying the price. Do the lawyers at City Hall, does the legal department at City Hall have the power to to change this, or is this truly still in the hands of the Park Board? Well, I think uh, I don't really know, but I think the lawyers will be a lot more reasonable, and I'm you know I'm optimistic that they'll that uh, they will get input, no doubt, from the park board as to what they can do and how they can be flexible. And uh, you know, our client is prepared to listen. Uh, the tea house further down the road is having yeah. problems as well. Uh, Jerry O'Neill, who runs the carriage uh, business there. He called me yesterday, and he's terribly upset. And, uh, and he said he sent a, uh, an email, a lengthy email to Park Board three weeks ago, no reply. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's that type of cavalier approach and that, that the Park Board does to the uh, citizens of, public, uh, citizens of, of uh, Vancouver that really has a lot of people upset. Yeah, a bit of a disservice there when you're right. not even not even the courtesy of a response or consultation right. or being in on the conversation. Uh, really glad that you're uh, at the helm of this and moving mm-hmm. it forward. As I said, it's getting lost in a very busy news cycle. Um, yeah. You know, I appreciate. Can you keep us updated is basically what I want here is just to keep us in the Absolutely. loop. Absolutely. Yes. Thank sure. you so much for this. Wally. All right, Thank Jody. You very much. Always good to be with you. Thanks.